will wear you out. It will beat you up. But it will also bring joy into your life. Comfort into your life. It will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. Marriage is complex. And marriage can be difficult in the beginning. In marital counseling, I usually lay it out this way. And I'm just honest with the people and I share with them. Within the first two to three years, you may not make it. (laughs) Because by statistics, most marriages wind up in divorce within the first two to three years. If you make it to your fifth year, you may have a running chance. But when you get to your seventh through tenth year, you're running. You're running. You're running because you know a little bit about each other. You're running because you have a little confidence in each other. And I want to emphasize the word little. Because marriage is something that you and I are constantly working at. You never stop working at it. It's an ongoing work. Now, society would like for us to believe that emotionally, if I'm attracted to somebody and I'm infatuated with them, that boy, I'm in love with them. No, 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 no. You're just caught up with what you see. The attitude and feeling called love is difficult to describe. You can't really describe it. Or define it. Objectively, we may assume that it does exist. But the problem is, is that sometimes to us is not real, is it? Because we challenge people by saying, show me. Give me some evidence that you love me. Well, that can be very difficult to do. It may be responded to, however. But somehow we know when we're loved. We know if we're really loved or we're not loved. That's the painful part of a relationship. Because in a relationship, there's going to be days you're really going to feel like you're loved. And in relationship, some days you're going to feel like you're the worst enemy on earth. But that's a relationship. That's being part of that relationship. It does affect us. When we have our failures, love is a mental attitude. It's a mental attitude. For each day you have to get up and you have to decide that you're going to love the one you're with. It's a mental attitude. Because sometimes I ask people, explain to me, how do you fall out of love? It's because you begin to deal with this up here. 
thing. And oftentimes what you're looking at is not the person you love, but you look at the problems that has been generated over a period of time that you're having with a person. And you see the problems rather than the person. And sometimes it's hard to separate them. The problems and the person. But it's a mental attitude that says, I love you. It is not just a relationship without substance to it. The relationship has substance. It has something. It has value. It has meaning. It has worth. A relationship begins to fall in trouble when one does not value the other's opinion or value the other's goal or value the other person. The relationship falls into problems when one is not seen as worthy. And when one is not seen as worthy, you begin to also see a trail of disrespect that takes place. It is not just a desire of reproduction, because you will find that the sexual part sometime will just wane and there's no more interest and you're wondering why. Marriage is divinely created. It is an institution of society because God, though he formed the first marriage with Adam and Eve, he meant it for all creation because Adam and Eve represent all creation. And in all parts of the world, among all cultures, we find it taking place. Now one thing about marriage is simply this. This means war. From the moment you say, I do, war begins. Not so much war between the husband and the wife, but the war with Satan trying to divide the husband and the wife. For God says the two become what? One. What is Satan's desire? Separate. That's the war. And sometime when I'm talking to Elaine, and we're in one of those heated discussions, I then said something I wish I could draw back, and I forget to say to Satan, get ye behind me, Satan. But she don't want to hear that Satan made me say it. And yet, that's a reality. Because whether we want to believe it or not, we are influenced by demonic thoughts. And it's war between you personally and Satan over your mate, your marriage, and your family. Just like in boxing or anything else, some were going to win, some were going to lose. But the issue is, did you fight well? Did you fight well? 
Did you fight the enemy for your marriage? Or did you just lay down? Did you recognize who you were fighting? Because oftentimes we really wind up fighting the one that we said that we love and they love us. And somehow we move to that position we no longer love, but we're ready to knock each other out. There's a problem there. And the issue is, who led us to that position? Who's given us those kind of thoughts? Satan is out to defeat you both. And in marriage, we have to understand that. That Satan is out, not to just defeat one, but if he defeats one, yes, it's going to end. But if he defeats both, he realizes he's going to have two bitter enemies for life. And that they're going to war with each other. And if there's children involved, the children are going to see the meanness, the anger, the wrath of each other coming upon each other. And they're going to wonder, where's this God at? Well, you're supposed to do good unto your enemy. Supposed to be kind to them. If your enemy thirsts, I wouldn't give that rascal a drop of water if it's the. Where'd that come from? He could be naked, homeless. I'm going to take every dime I can. I'm not going to give her a thing. Where did those thoughts come from? And we have to be willing to acknowledge. Now, go with me to John 10.10. Because we need to picture this verse in every part of our life. God wants, Satan wants to steal your success. God wants to make you successful. God wants to deal in your life that in every area of your life you are successful as a husband, as a father, as an employer, as someone who employs, uh, as a citizen. God wants to make you successful in every area of your life. But you also need to understand, though God wants to make you successful in every area, Satan is trying to pull the rug out from under you in every area. And Satan wants you to see yourself as a failure. Someone without confidence. Somebody without worth. Someone without value. Satan wants to rob you, strip you of everything that you may hold dear to you. So in John 10.10 he says, The thief comes only to steal. So you've got to ask you, what, what is he stealing? He's stealing what God has given unto me. Every good and perfect gift coming from above, but guess who's trying to steal it? John says also that man has nothing unless it comes from heaven. So what is Satan trying to steal? That which God is trying to give to you. Satan wants to steal it. He goes on, he says, boy, he wants to kill it. Satan wants to kill your marriage and bury it. 
And in the process, he just might kill you. Okay. He just might kill you. I remember counseling with a couple and I asked the young lady, leave him alone. And the last words I said to her was this, you can't control him even though you think you can control him. And she went to pick up the kids from the house, got as far as the porch, and he came out and shot her. And then he shot himself. Satan comes to kill. Just this past week, you may have read about it, heard about it. One young man shoots his baby mama four times. Then another one gets on Facebook. Yeah, you shot yours four. I'm going to shoot mine five. And the whole process is that Satan's not only killing one, but he's killing what? Two. And not counting then what the next word says. He come to destroy. He just destroyed a complete unit of family that God had ordained to take its place in society. Satan now has just destroyed it. He's destroyed it. So the battle, what we need to understand, the battle is not with ourselves, between ourselves. The battle is with Satan. And then we have to understand this process also. If anything good in our marriage, if we're staying together, and we're growing together, and we're prospering together, it's not because of us, it's because of him. The third person in that covenant with you. Where God is fighting to put it together, to work it out. And he knew he took two sinners to try to put together. He knows that. He knew he has put two dangerous people together. Who would throw hot grits on somebody they love? Don't y'all do that. Hey, hey. That's why I like cream of wheat. And, but the whole process comes around that God is trying to build, Satan's trying to tear down. And you have to be aware of that. Now, in Genesis 2.25, boy, it's amazing what begins to take place. Because, boy, I kind of went back and began to look at things, rethink things. Because uh, really, in a lot of these things, exactly what it, Genesis is the beginning. So sometimes when you want to start something, start right there in Genesis. Because that's where it starts at. And you can trace it from there right on down through in many different ways. In Genesis 2.25... It says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. No shame. No shame. They were naked. No shame. But the word naked there is not so much 
totally unclothed as being revealed. It's, it's saying like, I see you. I see you. Nothing's hid. Nothing's covered up. I see you. They felt no shame. Then the moment you get in chapter 3, 1, it says the serpent, Satan, that devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, said, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord has made. He's more crafty. He's more sensible. You follow that word on out. It is Satan dealing with our emotions. It's Satan dealing with our mind. And when trouble begins to take place in a marriage, it starts up here in the mind. The thoughts you begin to have about your mate. How you are perceiving. And Satan begins to interject his picture in. And God has already given you a picture. You're forgetting that picture. And you're beginning to behold the picture that Satan is beginning to show you. That can cause physical sensation perceptible to the senses. That can be bad. Not good, but bad. Perceptible to your intellect. You begin in your mind to begin to think differently about the person. You're no longer studying the person for their worth. You're studying the person to tear them down. You begin not to see the good of the person, but you're seeing the worst of the person. And this is the sad part about this. You're not willing to undergird them that they can be better. Now understand this. God and Satan does revealing for the but they both do it for a different purpose. God reveals the woman and the man to each other that we can have understanding of each other. That we understand each other's weak areas and strengths. But then we're able in the weak areas to come along and undergird and help build up. When Satan gets involved, I take your weak areas and I begin to do what? Tear them down. Stump on them. And when I begin to do that, how do I make you as a person then feel? And that's when Satan begins to really deal with my mind then. Because now, once you get your feelings involved... Everything begins to be irrational. And you begin to do exactly what God says not to do. Lean on your own what? Understanding. And you begin to reason with yourself. Rather than prayer. 
And you'll find out this to be true. You'll find yourself going to God less in prayer because the reality is you are now angry and upset and you think you're not seeing God work in the other person and you somehow begin to believe this lie that you can fix them, you can take care of them, you can handle them. And that's all that self-reasoning. And it leads to death. Because every man sees himself right in his own eyes. Well, let's put it this way. Every person sees himself right in defending themselves in their circumstances that they find themselves in. They see themselves right. And the scripture says, boy, that leads to death. That sensibility is having or showing good sense of sound judgment. And oftentimes when Satan begins to reveal, we lose the ability of what? Sound judgment. We lose that. We lose that sensibility of really making good rational decisions. Because all my decisions now are made on the issue of what can I do to hurt the other person? It's made on what can I do to protect me, not us. It changes the whole dynamics. So when Adam and Eve saw each other naked, there was nothing hid. Everything was open. They could see everything of each other in a sense. But when he brought shame into it in a sense, now they cover up. But the moment you cover up, you begin to hide. Once you begin to hide things from your mate, the marriage begins to falter. Because everything in the marriage should be what? Open. Visible. We can see it. We know it. But when they put those clothes on, you can hear Eve's clearing. Come here. Can't do this with nobody else. Come here. Hey. Hey. I didn't see everything to be seen. But she put her clothes on, you know, so we can hold hands now. Hey. Hey. Now, I can touch, but I'm not touching. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now for me to touch what's beneath the clothing, I got to say something. I won't say it here. <laughs> hey. And when I put on clothing and we go out, she's always expecting me to only touch certain areas. Other areas are what? Yeah. Because I put the clothing on now. 
Now when the clothing's off, well, (laughs) but when you put the clothing on, it says this is as far as you can go. And and what Satan does, okay, thank you. When you put the clothing on, it limits it. So in marriage sometimes, we begin to put clothing on our money. We begin to put clothing on our car. We begin to put clothing on this. We we begin to clothe, because what we begin to do is hide it from who? And it causes us to become secretive. Clothing always comes to that point of you're hiding something, secretive. But when you don't have it, everything is open. We can see everything. But shame brought about that point of clothing myself and not being open. And that's the thing about the marriage. It's open. That I can see everything. I'm invited into everything. I can touch everything. I can enjoy everything. Why? It's open. It's not closed off to me. Go to First, Second Corinthians ten five, because this becomes the battle, because Satan puts it in our mind all kind of things. And, and we have to begin to battle it about our mates, about the one we say we love. One of the things I do in, in, in marital counseling, because we're going to talk about it just a little bit later, but it helps you with your thoughts if you would do it even. Sit and talk with your mate. What was life like for them in the third grade? Counselors, psychiatrists begin to say, most children really start to remember about the third grade. So I always start about the third grade. What's going on in school? Who's your friends? What's going on in your home? And we talk about that. Because as we talk from third grade up to adulthood, it begins to help me or you to formulate the person that you're dealing with. You'll even begin to notice when they begin to take another road. Because they don't want to go down this road. They just went far enough for you to know, boy, there was trouble here, but I jump over here. (laughs) You know. And, but that allows you to know or be sensitive about the person you're dealing with now. Because all that baggage, it does make our emotions, it does declare our security, it, go, it does speak about our independence, it does speak about my ability to trust somebody else. Hey. And you want to learn that. Hey. One of the biggest things about marriage, which I think causes marriage to fall, we get too busy about the outside things. 
Are we going to have furniture? Are we going to get a new stove? Are we going to get a new car? Are we going to get a big house? We're talking about all the material stuff, but not about who? We're not discovering us. Sometimes you look at people getting divorced, you say, they got everything in the world. What's the problem? They left out who? Each other. They left out each other. And marriage is about one another, not about the material things you gather, but each other. And come with me now to 2 Corinthians 10.5. And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God or what God has directed for us. We tear down every argument that comes against what God says I should be as a husband to Elaine. I have to tear that down or Satan will build his up. There are days I don't feel married. There are days I don't feel like being the husband. There are days that... Boy, I'm not very romantic. There's days of this and days of that. But she has those same things. And guess what? Those are days we got to struggle through it. But yet, those are days we have understanding for each other. And he says, boy, the knowledge of God. So i got to go back into the Word. And i got to tell myself. God said, love her as Christ loveth the church. I got to go back and remind myself. Have patience with her. Why? Because God has patience with her. I got to remind myself. Continue to work with her. Why? Because God is working with me. Now, and, and you got to go back and begin to talk Scripture to yourself about who you are in Christ as a husband or a wife. You got to talk to yourself. If you don't, every demon in hell will. And you got to ask yourself sometimes, when those thoughts are running through your mind, where are they proceeding from? Where are they coming from? And he says, as we go a little further, he says, and we take captive every thought. Now listen to this last part. To make it obedient to Christ. The thought may be wrong, but I'm going to make this thought obedient to Christ. You're wrong. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to act that way. And you bring that thought that is trying to take you into a certain action or into a certain demeanor. You have to take it and dismiss it. That even at that point, everything ceases. Now, I have one rule in our home. We can talk about anything. Only one person raised their voice. That's basically me. Secondly, we don't cuss at each other. We don't cuss. And I'm not going to stand around yelling at folks either. Yelling don't change a lot of things. The thing is, you got to bring every thought that exalts itself against how God would have you behave 
you've got to take it captive, and if you don't captivate it, you're going to be following it. That action is going to come forth, and you're going to be doing it. And he says, you've got to take every thought into captivity. Now, that's what Eve didn't do. And at that point, that's not what Adam is going to even follow. Rather than following what they knew God had told them to do, they are listening to a voice that is not of God. Those thoughts have to come in to captivity. No shame in Genesis 2.25. But yet in Genesis 3.7, it says, Boy, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Now understand, in marriage, Satan's going to open your eyes to something, and you're going to be saying, Oh yeah, now I really see what kind of man you are. Oh yeah, I see what kind of woman you really are. Oh yeah, I... I really see the real you now. Well, what were you seeing before you ever said I do? So, their eyes were open to that. They were naked and Eve looked at Adam. Adam looked at Eve and then they clothed themselves. They began to try to hide themselves from each other. God had put them together. If he wanted them to have clothes, guess what? He would have clothed them. But he meant for marriage to be open where people can see each other. Nothing hid. Nothing hid. And he comes to that place that, boy, they're clothed. Now, sensibility, how do... How did their emotional, what's the emotional feeling at this point? When, when Eve looked at Adam naked, what's the emotional feeling? When, when, when Adam looks at Eve naked, what's the emotional feeling? Now, I like to take scripture sometime and I like to use my imagination also, you know, because there's some room in there for that. But it has to stay also within scripture part and come back and check. So this is not what I can go and point to in scripture per se. But I'm willing to say to you, when Adam said, wow, (laughs) woo, when he saw something that he ain't never seen before, Adam went at it. Um, Adam had to have time with Eve by himself. Now just think about it for a moment. Could God have given them two or three children the same time he gave them Eve? Yeah. But God said, in a sense, 
Okay, Adam, you need a little time with this woman. You need to experience this woman without no interference. You need to be able to be there with her, enjoy her, and the two of you enjoy each other with no interruptions. Well, when children came into my house, boy, it was a, they started messing it up. Hey, hey, hey. Boy, she's talking about, I got to put them to bed. Uh, I, it's nap time. I got to get their diapers ready. I got to do this. Boy, after a while, you feel like an outsider. So I, I like to think that Adam and Eve knew each other before Cain and Abel ever came along. And that's important in a marriage. That you take time to know each other before children really come along. That's important. And God gave them that time that they could get to know each other. And they knew each other in purity and cleanness. They knew each other in wholesomeness of mind. And then when they put clothes on, now I got to begin to discover that which is up under the clothes. I got to begin to try to remove the clothing that I can know what's up under it, what's hid up under it. It becomes more secretive where before in each one of your lives, it was open. There was openness. I can't express that enough. And the emotions and the negative feelings begin to take place. You know. And maybe Eve said, yeah, maybe he do need some clothing. I won't see all that overlap. And, you know, you know how men lose their muscle tone. You know, some things do look better with clothing on it, don't? But yet, when you see something even with clothing on, especially men, and especially if you can see a little bit of the curves and the shaping. You want to be able to discover what's where, what's under. What's under. The nakedness, marriage, is meant to be open. Clothing closes towards each other. In marriage, you see it all. You bear it all. You show it all. Nothing's hid in marriage. What the husband knows, the wife should know. What the wife knows, the husband should know. Nothing should be hid. You're sharing with each other. You know each other's weakness. You know each other's strength. You know each other's life. You know each other's life story. You know about the parents, how they treat it. You understand the other siblings by what they're sharing. You begin to understand the in-laws by what your mate is sharing with you. You begin to understand their securities and their insecurities by what they are sharing with you. 
you begin to understand how you have to deal with the other person because you have some understanding of what they went through and what they have experienced in life. When a person shuts down, you don't know when you hit the wrong button. You don't know it. And when Satan, we become secretive. With Satan, we become secretive. We begin to hide. We begin to conceal things. We begin to close ourselves off. We begin to set boundaries. You can't go there. You can't look at this. You can't handle that. You can't have my cell phone and look at it. You can't see who I'm calling or talking to. It's none of your business what I got in the bank. It's none of your business how much money I spend. It becomes very secretive. It's none of your business who I see while I'm at work or who I'm talking to or who I'm engaging. The marriage is meant to be what? Open, not closed. There's no boundaries in marriage. Elaine and I, we really don't have the right to say no to each other. Because there's no boundaries in marriage. Now, God has created us, and we need to recognize that. Not Satan. We give Satan too much authority in our life. God has given us his word as a guide for personal development. God has given us his word for personal development. That word is to develop me to look like Christ. Both of us. We're both being worked on. She's being worked on. I'm being worked on. Now we both have to realize in our life, there's been some destruction in our life. And God is rebuilding now, there's a difference, and I brought out here, there's a difference between remodeling and rebuilding. Remodeling, you're just trying to put something over the old stuff. Counseling calls it stuffing, hiding it, redecorating it. Mom and dad may have beat you, mom and dad may have did this, this may have happened or whatever, but you redecorate mom and dad and make them into that mom and dad you want them to be rather than what? The reality of what mom and dad may have really been like. You take your home life and you repaint your home life. Your home life may have been terrible. You may have had an alcoholic. You may have had a drug addict. You may have had... Pardon my expression, a whore as a mom. You may have had whatever, but you redecorated. Now understand this in marriage and family. The truth sets us free. Lying about it causes problems up here. It causes undue stress. You try to stay away from it because if you deal with it in your mind, you become what? Angry and upset. 
me. And the way you deal with it is you go back through it and you say, Lord, I forgive that person. Lord, I forgive this. Lord, heal me in this area. You begin to talk with God and let him do a radical work in you that you can't do in yourself other than try to shut the door on it, put it behind something, hide it. But the problem is this. You're going to whoop somebody else's behind over what you think you suffered back here because in your mind you're saying, it ain't going to happen this time. And you're going to stand up for yourself. <laughs> Rather than understanding, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's rather husband or wife. If God be for you, your wife can't hurt you. Therefore, you don't have to hide anything. If God be for you as a woman, you don't have to hide anything. If God be for you, he will fight the battle. If God is for you, he will do the protecting. If God is for you, he will cause you to prosper. The issue is that whole area of how you are developing yourself in the word of God. And the word is for personal development. In every function of life, in every position of life, he has given us his word for successful living. Successful living. In marriage, in singleness, successful living is what God has planned for me. Now, Satan has not given us anything to build success on. We need to realize that. Satan doesn't give you anything to build success on. He will load you down with things to tear it down. To tear your own life down. To tear down anybody's life around you. Satan will load you up with some sledgehammers and dynamites. Satan will cause you to tear up a city. Because the word says, this little tongue can do what? Set a city on If it can set a city on fire, guess what it can do to your home? Guess what it can do to a person? Satan will equip you to tear down everything that God has blessed you with. If you don't understand that that blessing comes from God. Satan will give you the ability to tear it down. Satan will give you the ability to hurt it. Satan will give you the ability to destroy it. Because God's trying to build it, Satan wants to tear it down and destroy it. What he's done in causing shame, he brings about disconcern. He frustrates us. He upsets our composure. Or a feeling of disappointment. When you disconnect from a person, usually because you're disappointed in a person. When you're no longer interested in a person, you emotionally begin to disconnect. 
And when you emotionally begin to disconnect, Satan's in it. Because what you will begin to do is tear down the relationship purposely. And eventually the change is very evident. You can no longer hide that you are demolishing or you're trying to wreck or you're trying to tear down this relationship. And Satan has given you the tools to do it with. And he deals with the emotions and the mental. The emotions is that sometimes I begin to lose the thing of caring for a person. And the mentality begins to say, I really don't want to be here. And I got to fight against that. And you have to begin to deal with the emotions rather than dealing with the reality of the truth. I love her. I love him. I love her. I love him. I love her. I love him. That's the truth. Now understand this about love. You can love somebody and they don't respond back. (laughs) But that does not mean you cut it off. Because love is a mental emotion that you have to direct. And God says he loved this world. In loving this world, he directed his love towards us. He commands his love towards us. And he says nothing will separate us from him because of his love. And you have to say that about your mate. Nothing's going to separate me from this woman, from this man that I love. And Satan will test you on it. But you have to make it up in your mind. Now, in marriage, we are to help each other. And we help each other by what I was sharing, by going back to the third grade, walking through the life with the person, that you can begin to understand the person. Go to John four sixteen because Jesus does this in ministry. He, he goes back and he wants to understand. Now, he already knows. But I think what he does is put this in scripture for us to understand. When you deal with people, you're seeing one thing in front of you. But what you're not seeing is what brought them to the place where you're seeing them. You see their actions. You hear the tones of their voice. You may experience even some of their anger or they're telling you about it. But what you have not seen is what has happened back here that paints the picture that you're perceiving at this moment. And that is so important. In four, in John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, this is the woman at the well, is known by a lot of us, but he says, He told her, Go call your husband. And come back. Now what's so important about the husband? I'm dealing with her. Why do I need to know about her husband? I'm dealing with her. 
Well, to deal with her, you got to deal with her past. To deal with her, you got to deal with her experiences. To deal with her, you got to know something about what has taken place in her life. To deal with him, you got to know what has taken place in his life. To deal with him, you got to know his fears, his insecurity. To deal with him, you got to know if you stumped on his manhood or you haven't given him enough respect. You got to deal with him, but you got to know those things. And and he says, boy, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. And she spoke the truth at that moment. I have no husband. But what she didn't do is tell him the rest. <laughs> she just stopped right there. I have no husband. No. I asked a young man and a young lady one time, and, and I go through this in coffee. Have you ever slept with anyone else? And the young man, he said, No. Mm-mm. I said, have you ever slept with anybody in the last five years, six years? And finally we get to a point, yeah, I slept with hey. Hey. Have you ever asked for forgiveness for that? And go through the same thing again with, with her. Because, see, you're bringing other relationships into this relationship. You're bringing in other emotions into this relationship. And he says to her, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, the truth is, you have had five husbands. In other words, Jesus Jesus said, you messed up, aren't you? I'm dealing with one wife. Boy, if I've had three or four wives, boy, I know I'll be in a mental hospital somewhere. I'll be like Solomon, found me a rooftop. It's good to be alone. Now, the wife can say the same thing. It's just not one-sided. But the thing that he says to her, you have experienced Five different men. And when you experience that, those men come with different baggage. Them men come with different requirements. These men come looking for something different than what the other one had. And you're trying to adjust to each one. What is that doing to you up here? And then he goes a step further. Even the man you're messing with now is not your husband. In other words, Christ saying to her, you are a very needy person, aren't you? You're a very needy person. You're scared to be alone. You're a very insecure person. You're a person who has to feel a need that you're wanted or valued. He's saying a lot in there. That is not being said. 
but he gets to know who he's dealing with. He knows already because he already knows the hearts of all men. We don't know that, so we have to sometimes go a little probing, but we got to be careful how we probe. You got to probe into people's past life very, very gently. Because when you hit a nerve, you're going to know it, like the dentist when he hits yours. And he's probing because to deal with people and their problems, you got to probe. Now, very quickly here. In marriage, it tells the man to study his wife, consider his wife. Now, I like to put both. Wife, study your husband too. Know your husband. It's not a one sided street. You got to know that individual that you're living with. You got to discover who they are. You got to discover their feelings. You got to know about their past, what causes them to cry, what causes them to feel insecure, what causes them to feel like they're not worthy of something. You got to know those things. You got to know how a person feels about themselves. That when they look in the mirror, what do they really see? And then you really begin to deal with each other. King James used the word knowledge in 1 Peter 3, 7. And what he is saying is understanding. Knowledge brings about an understanding that with wisdom from God, with wisdom from God and understanding, you're able to make the right application in dealing with your mate. Now, go back to Genesis with me just for a moment in closing. I want to show you a mistake that I think Adam made in his marriage here. Men, I'm going to say this, and I know some of you are going to oppose it. Everything wrong with our women, everything wrong with our children, everything wrong with our society is our fault. Now, you may say, no, 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 Pastor, you just don't know. God put you in as the ruler. Therefore, you got to study and know who you are. In Christ. I said something one time in a, in a wedding and my wife told me, you need to leave that part out. And, and I have left it out, but I think it's true. If a woman really loves you, she'll suck your big toe. And my wife told me, you better take that one out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all did the same thing the audience did when I said it up here. <laughs> but the thing that I'm trying to illustrate is how the woman positions you. 
how she positions you. Hey. Come with me to verse 6. Chapter 3 of Genesis. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and, and pleasing to the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Where's Adam at? He's right there. He's right there. Now, come over to Genesis 2 with me. Go to verse 17 with me. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. What knowledge did Adam have or was given before Eve even came on the scene? You don't do this, Adam. You don't eat of this tree. You leave this tree alone. Adam had a responsibility now to teach who? Eve. Men, our biggest failure is this, is our lack of knowledge of our God and our position in our homes, and therefore we cannot carry the authority of God into our homes because we lack the knowledge that God has given unto us to train our wife and our children. So therefore, Scripture, even in Corinthians, says unto the man, the woman has anything to ask, she asked her husband, not the pastor. Not the deacon. Not the elder. But men got so much worldly knowledge and no scriptural knowledge that when it comes to give information and really godly instructions in the home, it's void. Which lacks then for the wife to have security and comfort in him because he's not getting his direction from where? From God or from the word of God. Therefore she lacks And she always had this little area of mistrust because his knowledge is coming from where? From a worldly point of view rather than from a godly point of view. Now, back to the man though. Sometimes we want to please our wife so much we allow things to take place that is not of God. So here's Eve listening to the serpent when Adam should have said, come on girl, time to go. We're listening to the wrong voice. See? We're at the wrong counseling session here. That's not the one we want to talk to. See? He didn't do that. See? Because Adam knew. Now, nothing happened as long as Eve herself hey, never heard God's voice. The moment the man ate, God comes on the scene. That's important to recognize. God comes on the scene at that point. Men, when you hold your mouth, when you are silent about the direction of your home and how your kids are being raised, you allow evil to come in very subtly and take charge of your home. 
Now, go to Numbers chapter 30. We'll get ready to close out here. Numbers chapter 30. The issue of a man's power is not in this. This is not your power. This is not your controller. I've been married 50-something years and never once have I ever hit Elaine or raised my hand to Elaine. 